Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day, and Merry Christmas. We're less than a week till Christmas. Wow. So here's what's coming up on our program today. African swine fever continues to spread. There is money in the spending bill to increase ag uh, inspectors to help keep things like African swine fever out of the United States. We'll talk about that with Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. Doesn't look like there's going to be a new plan from the White House on the RFS. We'll talk about that with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. And we'll get the latest ag equipment numbers, ag equipment sales numbers from Kurt Blades with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. But we start things off in what has just been a busy and in some ways historic week in Washington, D.C. as we talk it over with Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for being with us. Uh, Let's start with USMCA. Looks like it's moving forward. Uh, Yes, uh, we're expecting the vote in the House this afternoon. Uh, early, early afternoon, uh, and uh, I don't see any reason to think it, it won't pass. I'm sure it will pass. Uh, even the National Farmers Union has endorsed uh, USMCA somewhat reluctantly. There are a few things that they wish were in there that are not. But since the, USM, since the NFU is the most democratic-leaning farm group, and uh, I think there are more than 300 other groups that have endorsed it, uh, that is a very good sign. So by uh, by early afternoon, the House should have voted on that, and we'll probably be making plans to leave town as soon as possible. Still looks like the Senate will take it up in January, right? Well, yes, although I would say that that now depends on what actually happens with impeachment. Uh, last night, uh, House Speaker Pelosi said she doesn't want to deliver uh, the impeachment articles to the Senate until she has some idea of how they're going to proceed with their trial. Uh, and there are even rumors that she could drag this out until spring if uh, she doesn't like this, the uh, plans for the trial. Uh, and then I wonder what would happen with the USMCA. Uh, Senate Majority Leader McConnell has said he wouldn't take it up until after the trial, but that was on the assumption that it would be a two-week trial in January. So I think we'll just have to wait and see about that. The spending bill, it's going to go through okay? I think so. In fact, that's, that vote is supposed to be at 11 a.m. Uh, and uh, in the Senate. And, of course, it's already gone through the House. It will then go to President Trump for his signature, and, and by all signs he will sign it, uh, which means that the government will have funding for the rest of the fiscal year, uh, with a lot of increases to a lot of areas, uh, particularly on food safety at the Food and Drug Administration, uh, uh, some other things that farm uh, that uh, farmers want. Uh, I I don't see any hitches with that. Uh, but the big thing today will also be that the EPA is going to announce the renewable fuel standard uh, officially, and it doesn't look like the farmers are going to get what they want on that. No, supposedly there was going to be this new plan, new effort to, uh, you know, to address the concerns the biofuels community has raised, uh, but doesn't look like it. it. Looks like they're going to stick with the the plan they had. 
Yes, it does look like that. Uh, the EPA is having a press conference by telephone at 1030 uh, Eastern Time, and I should learn more, so just in a few minutes. The other interesting thing is I just got a press release from EPA saying that they are approving uh, 10 pesticides for hemp. And so I think that it's very interesting that they would put those two on the same day. I think they want to get away from the bad headlines they're going to get out of the RFS and hope that farmers are pleased with hemp. But these hemp uh, pesticides, so that it will be easier to grow that product but I, or that crop. But I don't think the peop- number of people who grow hemp is equal to the number of people mm-hmm. who grow corn. Looking at it through a political lens, do you think the administration, knowing that there's going to be a lot of upset people in its in its base in rural America over the RFS announcement, are they're kind of counting on USMCA and China some positive news on the trade front, maybe to offset uh, the damage that could be done with their uh, voters in rural America on the RFS? Yes, I do, and I think uh, I think that's right, and also the hemp regulations fit into that. Uh, I think they're doing well on getting the USMCA approved, although that's mostly a matter of relief. The only group that's really getting much out of the USMCA is the dairy farmers. Uh, uh, And I think on China, the, uh, the verdict is still out. There's a lot of people talking about the fact that the Chinese refuse to use any numbers when they discuss it. The, the uh, Trump administration says they'll buy 40 to 50 billion, but the Chinese won't use numbers. And now there's talk that they want to, you know, include the exports that have gone to, to Hong Kong in the numbers going to mainland China, and then that, you know, that would uh, help bring up the numbers from the Chinese perspective, but not from the American perspective. Yeah, it just it feels more positive, but we don't have any substantial uh, uh, proof or f- details to uh, to back that up at this point. Yeah, the, the the thing that bothers me about all the talk about China is that the idea of of just saying they're going to spend forty to fifty uh, billion doesn't make any sense to me. Nobody buys on that basis. They buy on the basis of market prices and quality of product. So I can't imagine the Chinese just saying somehow we're going to spend 40 to 50 billion in the United States in the next year. Uh, that just that just doesn't uh, compute in my brain. Uh, it's not the way I've ever seen people do business before. So I'm still suspicious of that. Speaking of doing business, this is kind of the way Congress and Washington does business anymore. Almost trying to do a year's worth of work in a week. Exactly. Uh, but I will give them credit for getting all these things done by the end of the year. I, you know, it's it's not the way to uh, not the best way to go about it. Uh, but it's very hard to get members of Congress, especially in such a divided country as we have right now, to reach agreement until the very uh, the very very last minute. And of course, on the USMCA, Mexico was upset with the idea that there are going to be these labor attaches in Mexico. And they came up, and I, for a few days this week, I thought maybe we wouldn't pass at USMCA. But the Trump administration says they're going to be attaches helping with labor matters, not labor inspectors. So now Mexico is on board with USMCA again. Well, Congress will miss a lot of deadlines, but they won't miss the deadline for their holiday break. Well, that, uh, that is true, although in theory they were supposed to leave a week ago. 
so they're a week over. But we all know that when they say they're going to leave in the middle of December, that doesn't usually happen. Right. All right, Jerry, what a week. Thank you very much, and have a very Merry Christmas. And the same to you and all of your, uh, all of your listeners. I look forward to talking to you in the new year. We'll talk to you often. Thank you. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right. So uh, African swine fever continues to spread to other countries. We'll talk about efforts to keep it out of the United States. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We, throughout the year, have done updates on African swine fever. And here, it, it, to give us another update, is Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. Liz, thanks for joining us once again. Uh, unfortunately, we're seeing the disease continue to spread to other countries, aren't we? We sure are. We've seen it spread through Southeast Asia. The most recent one is in Indonesia. Um, and moving toward Australia, if you look at East Timor, which was um, the country prior to Indonesia, they're only about 600 kilometers off the coast of, of Australia. So um, definitely the Australians are at risk, and all of Southeast Asia continues to um, be fighting the, the ASF outbreaks. Where it started, China, what's the situation there? You know, what we hear is that um, it may have slowed down a little bit in China. Um, obviously, there is challenges with the uh, transparency of reporting there. But, you know, when you talk to people who are in the field working as, um, you know, consulting veterinarians or feed manufacturers, et cetera, um, we're hearing that, you know, perhaps as the new breaks aren't as plentiful, but there are challenges with repopulating sites that have gone down. There's still estimates that the sow herd is anywhere up to approximately 40% less this year than it was a year ago. I would think there'd be a great concern about trying to repopulate right back to in in the facilities where they've had the, had African swine fever. Don't they run the risk of it happening all over again? Absolutely, and and we've heard estimates that is um, few as thirty percent of those repopulations are successful, and that the other seventy percent will rebreak. Um, there are some protocols that we're hearing about that are very rigorous with multiple washings, downtime, drying time. You know, that could take months of uh, preparation before putting pigs back in that appear to be. Um, have a higher success rate. We're talking with Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council. Liz, we have talked about the efforts to keep African swine fever out of the United States. 
and those efforts have been enhanced uh, in this spending bill that will provide uh, funding for more ag inspectors. How important is that? Oh, it's essential. We were very pleased. Um, the progress we've made this year, uh, earlier we had USDA come up with funding for additional canine teams so we could add 60 more beagles or other canines to the airports and other ports um, looking for um, illegal meat or other agricultural products. Yesterday, the House, appropri- or House um, Appropriations Bill, the omnibus bill that passed, included another $19.7 million for um, adding new agricultural inspectors to Customs and Border Protection. That same language is in the Senate bill that will need to pass this week so that to avoid a government shutdown. So our expectation is that it will um, go through as is and that hopefully it will be on the president's desk before long and, and that money will be going to CBP to hire new inspectors. So the the efforts are underway to keep it out, and so far we've kept it out. How does it spread? Do we know how it spreads so we have a, a, a better idea of how to keep it out? Sure. I you know Obviously, our biggest risk is illegal meat from infected pigs that could come into the country and subsequently be fed to pigs here, whether it's um, wild pigs getting into garbage or, you know, backyard pigs that are being fed household waste. So that's the, one of the big deals with for us in getting the Customs and Border Protection funding is that, you know, that's more eyes on people coming into the country that could be bringing illegal meat products. Um, once, you know, we look at the countries that are positive, one of the big challenges is with um, movement of pigs and movement of pig products that are from infected pigs. So in countries like China and much of Southeast Asia where they feed household waste or swill, um, that's been a a major force in spreading the disease. Part of the challenge, of course, is there's no vaccine for African swine fever. Are we any closer to getting one? That's a great question. There was a a really promising research presented by USDA um, Agricultural Research Service out at Plum Island where they look like they've got a good vaccine candidate. The, and it's providing neutralizing antibody, which is something we haven't seen with other vaccines to actually be able to develop antibody that can protect um, against disease. So the challenge with this is it's being grown in what are called swine macrophage cells. Those cells have to be harvested from a pig every time you would try to grow this virus in, or vaccine virus. And so it needs to be adapted to a, a different line of cells that can be a continuous cell line that can grow in a laboratory, that can grow the virus to a high enough titer that it can actually be made into vaccine. And so while it's really promising, it's still going to be a challenge to get it adapted to a new cell line and get it to growing to the high enough levels to make vaccine. So we're a step closer, but we're still a ways away. You have told us before that there are preparations underway. You have to prepare that it might happen, even while you're hoping and working to keep it from happening. Uh, tell us about those preparations. What kind of precautions, what kind of things are being done now to prepare for a potential outbreak here in the U.S.? Absolutely. We um, we were really pleased in September. USDA held a 
14-state uh, exercise where um, the top 14 swine states actually spent four days um, playing as if there there was an outbreak and looking at what they would do, how they would depopulate farms, how they would set up control zones. Um, the laboratories also played to say what is their capacity. So USDA has been really good in validating new test samples or te- sample types so that when we first started a year and a half ago, they could only test whole blood. Now we've added spleen, tonsil, um, lymph nodes to that. So um, new cell, new culture or sample types. We're validating oral fluids in a project that um, USDA has funded with our Swine Health Information Center over in Vietnam so that oral fluids could be used. That's going to be essential if we have an outbreak to have the easiest types of samples we could collect so that we can assure um, that farms that are moving pigs are negative and that we can set up good control zones by identifying positive farms quickly. Um, USDA has also looked at what we would do for movement controls, how we would set up control zones, They've got a team working on looking at depopulation and disposal methods. So it's all hands on deck looking at how we could be prepared. We still have a long ways to go, but we're, we're much better off than we were a year ago. The U.S. pork industry has dealt with other disease outbreaks in the past. How, is this, how would this be similar or different than those? Yep. So in the past, you know, if you look at our disease outbreaks, the challenges have been that we move pigs a lot. So every day it's estimated we have a million pigs on the road. So one of the challenges if we were to have an outbreak is making sure that if we have pigs on the road that they are, um, that we know their status, that we know they're negative if they're moving. Um, if they're positive, we know not to move them. And so, so that's a big challenge. Um, and in the past, I mean, if you go back to the days of pseudorabies, when we eradicated pseudorabies, we had a wonderful vaccine that um, blocked not only clinical disease but also infections. So you didn't get a pig that could be, you know, look like it was healthy but still be shedding virus. And that vaccine was very easy to differentiate in a blood test from a natural infection. So we're, we're challenged by not having that kind of a vaccine for ASF. We're challenged by moving pigs. Um, and, um, you know, the ownership structure of the industry, we've just gotten so much bigger that um, if we do have to depopulate barns in the face of an outbreak, um, we're, we're going to have challenges with how do you handle depopulation and disposal of, of you know, up to tens of thousands of animals. Wow. Every day, uh, up to a million pigs on the road? Yep. It's it's kind of awesome when you think about it that we have set up our industry that we have, you know, newborn pigs or newly weaned pigs moving from the East Coast to mm-hmm. the um, middle of the country where the corn is. And, you know, there are also some moving from the South as well. And so we do a lot of our finishing now in the Midwest. But, um, right. A lot of the farrowing may be done, um, you know, outside of the Midwest. All right, Liz, thank you for the update. We'll be talking more in the, in the new year. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Happy holidays. Liz Wagstrom, Chief Veterinarian for the National Pork Producers Council here on AOA.
Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Corn and wheat prices at the Board of Trade rising in early activity following strong export sales numbers from USDA. Soybean futures, though, trading a bit lower in early activity. Private exporters reporting to USDA the sale of 126,000 tons of soybeans to China. Softer prices seen in soybeans in the overnight trade. The January contract attempting to make back-to-back lower closes for the first time since the beginning of the month. An hour into the day, we are three to four and a fraction lower in soybeans. January down four and a quarter at 924 and three quarters of a cent. Corn, the March contract, up a half cent at 387 and a half. For the wheats, the rally continues. Chicago March up a penny and a quarter at 549 and a half. Kansas City March up three and a half at 465 and three quarters. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March up four and a quarter at 542 and three quarters of a cent. For livestock and American live cattle futures, a narrow mix in early activity. We are waiting for cash cattle trade to develop so far on the week, both on a dress basis in the north and a live basis in the south. December live cattle up seven cents at 122.32. Feeder cattle, January up 30 at 144.85. We've got a cattle on feed report coming out on Friday afternoon. Average trade guess on feed December 1st up 1.9% compared to a year ago. In lean hog futures, February up 30 cents, 70.20. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 58. NASDAQ up 14. January crude oil up 4 cents a barrel. This is the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, we've talked about how we have some positives for agriculture here at the end of the year, that the year in many ways seems to be finishing up much better than it started or has been throughout the year with looks like now passage of USMCA on track, hope for a deal, phase one deal with China, tax extenders package in the spending bill, which would include the biodiesel tax credit. But one area that does not look like it's going to have uh, a happy ending here in 2019, and that is uh, for the uh, biofuels industry when it comes to the RFS and how EPA is going to handle it uh, for the coming year and moving forward. There was hope of this new plan going to come out of the administration to address concerns of the uh, biofuels industry, but now it looks like EPA is going to stick with the, the plan that many feel is is not fair and uh, does not really uh, uh, mean that 15 million gallons is really 15 billion. It, it looks like uh, uh, the waiver process will continue to have the opportunity anyway to undermine the RFS. Let's talk about it with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Ron, thanks for joining us. Um, how disappointed are you that we're not getting a plan from the administration to address your concerns? Well, you, you summed it up pretty well. I mean, um, you know, this uh, it's, it's Christmas time, so this, this analogy of a giant package and then you uh, open it up and there's just lumps of coal in it, um, it's uh, it's disappointing. I mean, this is not this is not what the law says. The law says 15 billion gallons a year, and although the number that will be 
probably paraded around by people who want to tell you that farmers and ethanol producers got a good deal will be the 15.92 billion uh, there has not been a year that this administration's EPA has not waived at least that much um, or more so if they're required to do it according to this proposal and then unrequired later plus uh, you know who knows if they'll come back and and grant more exemptions for 2019 again retroactively like they have in the past it's uh, it's it's disappointing there's a lot of effort that went into this by a lot of people a lot of our our elected officials and 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 folks that spent a lot of time talking to the administration talking to EPA explaining how this thing is is supposed to be done how it affects farmers and ethanol producers if it isn't and they took it all in made comments and then came back with the same thing that they proposed in the first place makes you wonder why did we go through this whole process i mean it's hard to believe after all of that and all the information at their disposal that they didn't see anything that they felt needed to be changed or that they could change that they just left it as it was well i mean i I suppose with the you know the the other announcements of the week, maybe they figured they'd slip this one by. Uh, but I don't, I mean, you know, this administration has favored oil interests from the start. Um, and, the, you know, this the, the thing about this that's, that's really maddening to me is that even if they'd gone to, you know, 17 billion gallons, that doesn't mean 17 billion gallons of ethanol. All it means is that these exemptions that they gave out, these, these gift certificates where you can turn that in instead of buying ethanol, those would be taken out of the market, and then the market could respond to regular prices. The gap between unleaded gas and and ethanol um, grew when they started granting these exemptions. And when when unleaded gas went up, normally ethanol, as a replacement for it, would go up too. And that didn't happen. They started going in opposite directions. And so, basically, what we've had is a situation where, with all of these extra gallons out there, and they are gallons because basically they're giving you credit for gallons you bought in the past. It's driven the price down to where ethanol producers produce ethanol in good faith because they're supposed to be 15 billion gallons sold, and then they end up having to sell them at clearance sale prices. We're talking with Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. Uh, A statement released from Senators Grassley and Ernst from Iowa uh, pointing out that simply requiring that the three-year rolling average be based on hard data and actual waived gallons rather than Department of Energy recommendations and EPA discretion would solve this problem and ensure the renewable volume obligations are met. But instead, it's really still back left up to the discretion of EPA uh, on these waivers, right? Right. The way the law reads, 15 billion gallons isn't changeable. I mean, that's, that's, that's in stone. You can't change that unless you have a, a whole bunch of... There's two, two conditions, basically, a severe economic harm to the whole nation, or you can't make that much fuel. And, and those are the only two ways you can change that. And this is their end run around it by saying, well, okay, that year's over, so that won't change the volume, so we'll waive those gallons from before. But what's supposed to happen is they predict how many small refinery exemptions will exist, how many gallons those refiners do, and then they divide the 15 billion gallons above the ones that aren't exempt. So it ends up being a higher percentage for the ones that aren't exempt, and we still get to 15 billion. It's the same size pie, it's just divided up a little bit differently. 
And it's not honest for EPA to say we expect no exemptions because how could they expect no exemptions? They've never had no exemptions. And so the, the averaging thing actually should have been a minimum, saying this is how many we've had in the past. We expect to be about that many. And so we will deduct that before we start allocating this 15 billion gallons out. And instead they, they go with a lower number because there's a lower number out there. Even if they quit granting exemptions, and there's no indication that's going to be the case, but even if they did, it still wouldn't make up for the damage already done. No, right. I mean, we've had, especially the last year and a half to two years, where basically, see, each year these these retroactive exemptions serve to depress the market in the in the current year. So, you know, EPA can say, well, it won't affect your volume because that was last year's volume. But that volume was for compliance, and now this year you have volume that's supposed to be for compliance, but instead you can use some of last year's volume for compliance. So it ends up depressing the price, and you know that, that in effect is what Ted Cruz wanted when he first went in to talk to the president and, and uh, the first EPA administrator, and effectively they've beaten it down as far as they can. And I mean, you, you know, you start out to say it's 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 sad that we went through everything we went through, but we got to keep going through it. I mean, people got to mm-hmm. keep pounding on the doors of their representatives and on the president and on EPA and saying this isn't right. This is this is not legal. We had a deal and uh, and and try to do whatever we can to pressure the deal, or you know, I mean, um, whatever else we can. There's there's been different legis- legislation. There's been lawsuits. I mean, we approach all these things and say, whichever one we can do to make EPA do what they're supposed to do under the Renewable Fuel Standard, we've got to do. Yeah, Senator Grassley keeps referring to that meeting earlier at the White House, and he said, we had a deal, and this isn't that deal. Well, I mean, even the, even the RFS, that's a deal. We had a deal. Refiners or, you know, uh, petroleum marketers, uh, refiners, I guess, were supposed to buy 15 billion gallons, and ethanol producers were supposed to make 15 billion gallons and we did our part and refiners have from the start tried to get out of their part of the deal and system doesn't work if you cut a deal have have the parameters set and then somebody says well we're not going to live up to the deal and then you go to whoever it is that you go to to talk about the deal and they won't enforce it so we go into another year with uh the uncertainty of what waivers will be granted, how much they will be. There was talk about going to partial waivers, things like that. Whatever happened to that? Well, I, I think that's where this this 920 million gallons comes from, is that you know, EPA is saying, well, maybe we'll go to partial waivers instead of these these full waivers. But, again, it's it's if it's 920 million that they expect to grant for this year, for 2020, that doesn't say anything about what they might retroactively grant for 2019. Um, it doesn't, you know, they still can mess with it however they want to, and and in the past have shown that they will, and we have no reason to expect that they that they will do it differently this year. Other than, I mean, they got they got caught, they got drug, you know, drug into the into the principal's office and. They said there'd be another deal, and then in the end, there's not another deal. Um, it's it's not it's not what Senator Grassley and Senator Ernst and others, you know, thought that the administration was agreeing to. So, uh, you know, we we just have to keep the pressure on them, and 
Um, and keep selling ethanol. I mean, the, you know, the good news is consumers seem to like it more. There's more people buying E15. There's a lot more E85 being sold. So, you know, that it's it's possible that if we can get some of the restrictions off of us that, you know, these these marketers who are under branded contract and aren't being allowed to sell E15 um, or, or E30 or whatever other blends they want to sell, if we can get them out from under that, then, you know, maybe the volume can take off and, 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 you know, bypass this, or maybe we can get more of it sold overseas because other countries seem to be looking to use more ethanol. So, you know, we'll keep pushing all the markets we can, but, um, I mean, this is a, this is, this is disappointing because it's the deal that this industry was built on. And, and, uh, I think we need to keep insisting that the deal is met. Yeah, as you said, two deals being broken here, the RFS being the original one, and then what was supposed to uh, uphold the RFS, that deal doesn't look like it's being upheld either. All right, Ron, thanks a lot, and uh, we appreciate your time. And uh, even with these challenges, we'll look forward to a better 2020 for the biofuels industry. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks for having me. That is Ron Lamberty, Senior Vice President for the American Coalition for Ethanol. So with the number of positives and bright spots uh, happening uh, for agriculture here at the end of the year, this does not seem to be one uh, uh, for the renewable fuels industry as the administration not changing their plan for the uh, small refinery exemptions and upholding the RFS moving into the coming year. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. Throughout the year, each month, we have taken a look at the latest ag equipment sales numbers, and let's take a look at the November numbers with Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. Kurt, thanks for joining us again. Uh, What do the November numbers tell us? Well, November numbers uh, kind of continued uh, a little bit of the the trend that we've been seeing throughout the uh, uh, I'm sorry the the October numbers actually what we'd be looking at and the November numbers kind of continue on the uh, the trend that we've been seeing for the for the last year. Well, we're sort of in a replacement market. The uh, you know the numbers have uh, have have been up and up and down throughout the year, but uh, you know year over year we're up just a little bit. But each individual month kind of kind of shows some uh, some delays in the in the markets in the individual categories that we've been looking at. We saw a pretty sizable drop off in in some of the bigger categories, uh but we also uh you know kind of see some bright spots in in some of the row crop tractors. Yeah, let's talk about the bright spots. What do you see that gives you hope going into a new year? Well, the things that give me hope in the new year is have, have uh, more to do with the stuff that's not reflected in the market and that's the fact that it looks like we're going to get close to uh to a USMCA package um 
uh, you know, passed right after the first of the year. So that that gives us hope. That gives us some certainty that comes into the market. Uh, the other thing that gives us just a little bit of hope is is that uh, uh, you know, if, if some of this uncertainty that happens, uh, you know, as it relates to trade and uh, uh, you know even demand just in general, those are things that, that that give us hope into the new year. But as we look specifically at those November numbers and how how we expect this market to end up, I think we'll look back at 2020 as our excuse me 2019 as a year where where we were up slightly for the year but um and it's reflective of the replacement market but uh, what started out as a really strong year ended up being just a little bit soft based off of that uncertainty that we had with uh, with trade towards the end of the year I guess you can look at it you wish the numbers were higher obviously but on the other hand considering the type of year it has been with all the uh the headwinds uh you could say, hey, the numbers, all things considered, aren't too bad. That's uh, that's absolutely the way I would uh, I would couch it, Mike. Is that uh, you know all things considered, to end the year, you know, sort of sort of flat to slightly above where we were um, this time last year. I'd say that's a that's a pretty good win. There's some bright spots out there. You know, combines have been a really interesting market throughout the year, where we had months where it was just absolutely on fire. Uh, you know, selling a whole lot of whole lot of new combines and knowing that the used market looked kind of similar to that, and then you have a a month like November, where where uh, year over year over year for the same month was down quite quite substantially. Uh, you know, the the combine sales for November specifically in nineteen versus eighteen were down about a quarter, down about twenty five percent. Now, this, so that makes the whole average of the year on combines that we're basically going to be flat. So, but we did look at some timing. I think that absolutely is weather related. The thing goes with uh, with articulated four wheel drive tractors. We saw some really some softness in that market in the month of November. But for the whole year, uh, you know, self propelled or articulated four wheel drive combines have been up about three percent. So we're you know, there's a lot of different stories about the timing there. Uh, that has just been kind of fun and interesting to watch. But I think all in all, as we write the write the you know write the story on 2019, I think what we'd say is that it's it's uh, uh, it's a replacement market. It's been an okay year. It's not been great, but it's been an okay year, all things considered. It's been even more of a struggle in Canada, hasn't it? Boy, Canada's a different story entirely. And uh, you know, as much as you try to put a positive spin on any numbers that you can put forward. Those just don't show up in in Canada, and you know your heart goes out to to Canadian farmers when you see some of the numbers, the economic numbers that show up with their uh, um, you know what's predicted to be net farm income, um, and the numbers are absolutely showing in the uh, in the equipment sales. November was a little bit of a turnaround for combines and for uh, for uh, uh, some of the tractor numbers, but year over year, combines are down about twenty percent uh, in in Canada. And uh, all tractors, in whole, as a general, uh, all tractors are down about three percent. With the over 100 horsepower tractors taking a pretty big hit at about down 17 percent for the year, and articulated four-wheel drive tractors being down 37 percent for the entire year to date. Those are big numbers, and that's really that's really painful, um, you know, to, to 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 report those numbers. And that again, your heart goes out to the farmers that are having to make those economic decisions, where you know that they're just being been really hurt by uh, by some of the by some of the trade uncertainty and just sort of the, the things that are going on with the, with the ag economy in Canada in general. So we look ahead to a new year. Many people have said, "Let's turn the page on 2019 and and move on." And and we're hopeful that 2020 will be a better one. And 
you know, we don't know about the weather. Hopefully that'll be better. There have been some positive things happening with trade here at the end of the year. Uh, it, it looks like, you know, a, a little more positive feel going into the new year than what we've dealt with much of this year. Well, I'll tell you, it, you know, optimism is, you know, you, you've been around me long enough, Mike, to know that I'm always optimistic. And, and, uh, and 2020 feels like we've, we've kind of turned the, turned the corner on some of this uncertainty. And that's been the story that's really has, has driven the entire markets for 19 is the uncertainty. So if we bring in just some, some better certainty on USMCA, if we bring in, just bring in some more certainty around, a, around China trade, that helps the markets a whole lot. I saw uh, just some announcements today and some movements on, on, uh, on, on ethanol. It's maybe not necessarily the story that we want, but at least it brings some certainty to that particular market. And I think that certainty allows for the markets to return to some normalcy. Uh, we're but we are still a lot of issues that are at play there. You know, weather, as you mentioned, I mean that's uh, we're 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 uncovering just some you know two really funky years on on weather where you've had prices go or where you've had uh, uh, months that have gone up, months that have gone down, uh, just because of of the way the weather patterns happen. It's just been really interesting for our farmers to deal with, and who knows what that's going to say or what that's going to look like. But it does look like um, you know. The, the trade and the markets are going to going to improve for us a little bit, provide some certainty. Well, next month we'll get uh, the latest, the year-end numbers, and then uh, we'll start really looking, focusing more on 2020. Kurt, as always, thank you for being with us. Hey, thanks much, Mike. All right, take care. That's Kurt Blade, Senior Vice President, Ag Services for the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That wraps it up. Thank you for joining us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture.